Welcome back, everybody. I am so glad to talk to you. This is Jesus Patternson. My name is Sharon Searles. And I had a question posed to me. Somebody asked, well, what about this type and shadow stuff? Is, is it really legitimate to use the feast or something else and find some sort of prophetic meaning in it? Or isn't it just face value of the text? Well, Thank you for asking. What about this type and shadow stuff? Is, is it really legitimate to use the feast or something else and find some sort of prophetic meaning in it? Or isn't it just face value of the text? Well. I'm going to assume that this is a real question, so we can answer it. The first place, is it realistic to think that these feasts, the three feasts, the seven feasts, have prophetic meaning? And the answer is, my gosh, yes. Haven't we seen the pattern up until now? So the three feasts would be the spring feasts of Passover, etc. And then there's Pentecost and then there's the, the fall feasts, okay? Or if you count seven, you've got Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, feast of trumpets, well, the day of the trumpet blast, day of atonement, and tabernacles. Okay. Don't we know that Jesus was our Passover lamb? Don't we know that his resurrection was on the Feast of First Fruits? Don't we know that Pentecost was when the Spirit fell on the church? He, some people like to call it the birthday of the church. Well, Spirit fell on the church. <laughs> Holy Spirit came. It was our comforter, our teacher, our guide, and our advocate. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, we do know this. And so it's entirely realistic to think that the fall feast will have prophetic meaning too. So yes, there is a clear pattern. We didn't make this up. Of course, John the Baptist may have been the first one to say Jesus was the Lamb of God. And Passover is most important of those lambs, uh, perhaps. Um, I just did a quick internet search and the first thing that came up on Jesus' Passover lamb is 100 scriptures. <laughs> 100 scriptures about Jesus being the Passover lamb. You can look it up too, but that was openbible.info. Anyway, so yes, I think there's an established pattern. Okay, let's then look at some specific scriptures, specific scriptures that would indicate that you can find types and shadows in the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures, if you like, and find those in New Testament or in the future. Okay, so the word shadow, Colossians 2 and verse 17, reading from the authorized version, the King James Version, Colossians 2 and 17, which are a shadow of things to come, 
but the body is of Christ. So he's talking in 16 about uh, meats, drinks, respect of holy days, new moons, and Sabbaths. So he's specifically talking about the Moedim, Sabbath is one of those, okay, which is a shadow of things to come. So if Sabbath is a shadow, then obviously the, the seven feasts are, or the Moedim, okay, and then Hebrews 8 and 5 who serves an example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. What things? Shadow of heavenly things. So he's talking about the priests and the tabernacle, the gifts and the sacrifices. So incidentally, same pattern three courts in the tabernacle and seven pieces of furniture okay and then Hebrews 10 and 1 for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never without those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect so once again specifically says Hebrews 10 and 1, that the law is the shadow of good things to come. So clearly, we are on solid ground, getting types and shadows or patterns or prophetic insights from the feasts. Oh my goodness, could anything be more clear for the law having a shadow of good things to come? Ha! All right. And if you think that that's enough, as a Christian, you want to go back and just do the face value. Um, you should read Hebrews. Okay, and then the word type. So type in shadows is what is typically said. So when we find these kinds of patterns in prophetic revelations or inferences from such things as feasts or the Moedim, Okay, so the word type in New American Standard Bible, did a search for that, Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 and 19. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. So this is talking about Abraham and uh, on Mount Moriah with his son Isaac. And so Isaac raising up from being sacrificed is compared to as a type of Jesus being sacrificed and raised up. All right, so there we have it, five specific scriptures. So yes, there is a pattern. We've seen that in history. Jesus fulfilling the first three feasts and the Holy Spirit fulfilling Pentecost. Yes, we see specific scriptures. And yes, let me point out to you that we have example of New Testament writers using this procedure. Galatians. So Galatians 4... 22 
Well, let's just start in 21. Galatians 4 and 21. I'm reading from the King James Version. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Verse 24. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, and from Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which is, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband, which of course is uh, quoting Isaiah 54. So uh, right there is an example. Isaiah 54 was written to the the Jews, Isaiah, right? Oh, but Paul is now writing it about all Christians. And of course, we Christians today pray from Isaiah 54. But back up to Galatians 4 and 22 in King James, which things, meaning Abraham and his two wives, are an allegory. And he's arguing for the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant using the story about Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac. So an allegory? How is that different from a type in shadow? Actually what Paul is doing there would be called a midrash. This is a midrash. This kind of getting revelation from the text. Now Christian authors don't, haven't usually used Midrash. This is something that a rabbi from that period would do, or prophet or an apostle since 1940 would do. But in between, that hasn't been true. But the scholars in the uh, Middle Ages said there were eight interpretations of any passage. It was the moral, the anagogical, the allegorical, and so forth. I didn't bring that list. But anyway, they thought there was clearly a number of levels of interpretation. And this has been my experience, that the Bible is true on face value, but it's much deeper than that. And there's, there's an application personally. There's an application uh, to the ancient... Uh, country of Israel, there's application to the church today, and very often an application in the wrapping up of the end times. And so, absolutely, how could you not? How could you say there's not a, a deeper meaning? Of course there's a pattern, of course there's a type of shadow and allegory, and there is midrash. Okay, so, yes, there are prophetic meanings in the text, and certainly, certainly in the feasts. And the most important point here is that Jesus is the pattern. He's the antitype to what all is the type. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. The 
you've heard the old saying that the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus is hidden in the Old Testament, and the New Testament points back to Jesus. New Testament is intended to reveal Jesus. I would submit to you that Jesus is the center of everything. In John, the Gospel of John, in the fifth chapter, in the 39th verse, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. So Jesus is saying, scripture is about me. Scripture is about me. The feasts are about Jesus. The sacrifices are about Jesus. Everything is about you. The prophecies are about Jesus. This is what he says. They are they which testify of me. And Jesus is the center of our everyday life. Galatians 2 and 20, and incidentally, Galatians, we absolutely know who wrote it, and it hasn't been corrupted. We have old uh, manuscripts, and Galatians is, there's no controversy about Galatians. Okay, 2 and 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, and yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, if you want to speak Hebrew, is the center of a Christian's life. Jesus is the center of the church. Colossians 1 and 18. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may come to have first place in everything. Head of the body. Head, by the way, is not archon ruler, but it is kephal or source. He is the source of the body, the church, that he will come to have first place in everything. And then we hear in Hebrews, Jesus is the same today yesterday and forever. Hallelujah. Okay, so it's all about Jesus. The feasts are all about Jesus. And if you wonder if we should just take the feast at first glance, or if you wonder that the feasts are simply about the church, no, the feasts or the Moedim are about Jesus. And we get to be in Christ and Christ in us. And so, in the great vision of Ephesians, that all things, we are subsumed in Christ, and Christ is in God, and hallelujah. All right? So, what does it take to be a Christian? Well, we know that we have to confess that Jesus is Lord. You can't say Jesus is Lord, meaning really confess him as Lord, without Holy Spirit. This is the central part of of being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus is Jesus is Lord. It's not about which set of rules that you follow, although we should have a more godly life. Of course, that will be the fruit, (laughs) but that's not the root. Jesus is the source. And that's why we call this Jesus the Pattern Son, right? Because we do believe in sonship. We should grow up to be like Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. We're going to get the horse before the cart. (laughs) So that the horse can pull the cart. Okay? 
All right. Thanks so much. Lord bless you. May these feast days, fast days, be meaningful for you. God wants to save you to the uttermost. Jesus is Lord. He is risen. He is the lover of your soul and is the judge of all. Thank you so much. And may the Lord bless you. Please give us a like wherever you are listening to us so that others might find us. And please share directly with those who might be interested. You are invited to write us at sister at jesuspatternson.org. Sister at jesuspatternson.org. Of course, you are welcome to come to our website at jesuspatternson.org. May the Lord bless you.